What an encouraging verse five is, isn't it? You know, when we get old and grey and what we think perhaps not what we once were. Youthful vigour is no more. But and my last hour of life confess his love hath animating power. What an encouragement it is to have such hymns as that to sing. Can we turn, please, to Malachi chapter 1? Now, I'm sure you would agree with me with a very basic general statement that within the confines of the scriptures, from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, there are many, many, many things. And these many, many things are described in a multitude of ways. But there is nothing in this book of the scriptures that is included by accident. There's nothing that sort of just crept in because someone forgot to put it in in the first place. And uh, there's nothing being excluded that shouldn't be there either. You see, what we have in these pages is by design. Yes, it was written by human hands and probably quite laboriously so in the days in which writing was done. But each of those human hands was guided, if you like. I hate to use the word inspired because I don't think our hands can such be inspired, but they were certainly divinely directed by the divine hand of guidance to write within the scriptures what we have with us today, which is indeed, of course, the very word of God. And the book of Malachi, obviously, is such. It has so much to say to us in our today. And you find it, as someone once said, it's tucked away at the end of the Old Testament. I don't know if that's a good description, but it's there. It's the last book, of course, that we find in the Old Testament. And it's the last in a sequence of the so-called minor prophets. And he begins in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. There is a burden here in verse 1, which means that what Malachi is going to give to the people, what the Lord is saying through Malachi to the people, what the Lord is saying through Malachi to us today is an issue of great weight, an issue of utterly great importance. And it is something that has to be taken solemnly. It's not just to be dismissed. It's to be taken seriously. Indeed, as indeed all the scripture, of course, it is a weighty message. And the gospel, of course, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a solemn and serious message to people today. Yes, we call it the good news, and is it not? 
but it's only good news to those that respond, to those who aren't interested, to those who reject. It's certainly not good news eventually for them. And it is a solemn and serious message on how a person responds to the gospel to says where they're going to spend eternity. Now, you might live, I don't know what the, what the eldest person in this country is, 110, something like that. But they're not much further to go. That's nothing, though, compared to eternity. Because that is forever and ever and ever. And that is why the gospel is such a solemn and serious message for people today. It's only good news, in a way, to those who respond to it. And it can be a burden for those whose task it is to take the gospel to the people where they are. It's no easy matter to go out into the open air to preach the gospel. It can be such a fearful thing. There may be at least rejection, ridicule, and sometimes violence, even in our own land. But the Lord Jesus Christ in the Great Commission said, go. And that's where we should go. You see, Paul the Apostle, he was constrained, wasn't he, to preach the gospel. For the love, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And for like the prophet Jeremiah it was like a fire. In Jeremiah 20, verse 9, we read this. Then I said, I will not mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart, as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. You know, does the gospel burn in our hearts? Is there anything there than more than just an old bit of spark? Or is there a burning desire? What the Lord has done for me, I want him to do it for others. It's a busy, it's a very heavy message at times. Remember the first verse of the book of Nahum. The burden of Nineveh. You see, the message, the message can be taken, certainly, in a threatening sense. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. But much of it is friendship as opposed to enmity. One doesn't go out to share the gospel with any thoughts of hatred or, or, or harm to people. Even when perhaps they're not very nice to us. You see, it's the love of Christ 
that constrains. And that's what, in the end, pushes a person forward. It certainly can be, the word of the Lord can certainly be a heavy burden by those who are opposed to it. But what a blessing it is to those who are comforted by it. How many people, how many believers have been so blessed and so comforted by what they've read in the scriptures that sometimes when a crisis comes and the Lord just, either the Lord or some other person gives them a verse of scripture and it is just right for that occasion. There used to be a little booklet issued by the Scripture Gift Mission. I'm going back a few years now when... um, it really was the scripture gift mission. And it was called Words of Comfort. And it was a word, words from the scripture. And it was so greatly used, greatly used to many people in situations of, of sadness and, and hurt. And you see what it says there in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord to Israel, not against Israel. This is the word of the Lord to Israel. And we, we take the word of the Lord, we take the gospel to people. We don't preach at them. We preach to them. And in this particular section here, Malachi is the instrument that the Lord is going to use. The name Malachi actually means my angel or my messenger. So what is Malachi? He is the messenger of Jehovah. He is God's messenger. And uh, as you read through, or if you were to read through the book of Malachi, you will read that Malachi has some very hard things to say to the people of God. But he is God's messenger. And that makes his message authoritative. Because he is the messenger of God, because he is the, having the word of God, he has, that, he has authority. And that is very similar today. When a person preaches the gospel, when he or she witnesses to the gospel, they have the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're not saying things out of our own thoughts and ideas. We're sharing a message of God to people that they need. And if we do it according to his word, and his way, then we can be assured we will have his authority and his blessing in so doing. It's not an easy message to preach. It's not a comforting message sometimes to share. But it has to be spoken. And here, of course, the word of the Lord is to Israel. 
specifically to the Lord's people. And of course, if we come forward the centuries to today, it would be to the Lord's people. These were the people, of course, who had returned from the captivity in Babylon. And, of course, the preached word here comes through Malachi. And he has a word for the people of God. And today the preached word can come specifically to an individual. You can preach the gospel in the open air and a hundred, hundred people go by you. One will stop. One will listen. One may be converted. You can preach the gospel to a church. Most people might switch off and say, this doesn't apply to me. One might think the Lord suddenly convicts them of their sin. Or you indeed preach to a nation. And how our nation needs the gospel today. I don't, I say, suggest that we have never, ever been a Christian nation. But what little Christian gloss we had in our nation is fearfully gone today in every area. And hey, we need to pray today for those that do preach the message of the gospel and preach, of course, generally as well, that they will be faithful. It is so easy to please people. To say what people want to hear. I love a God of love. I'll listen to that all day long. Don't talk to me about a God of wrath. That's not very nice. And yet one has to preach the whole counsel of God. And one thing we need to pray for preachers, especially those in the open air, but even some in churches perhaps, is that they overcome the fear of men. Proverbs talks about a lion in the streets. And that's what keeps most people indoors, away from the gospel. Takes most Christians, probably. The lion on the streets. I've known Christians who come see an open air and they divert to miss it. Are they ashamed? I don't know. We must overcome the fear of men and proclaim faithfully what the Lord gives us to proclaim. But isn't this wonderful for the people of God here? I have loved you, saith the Lord. The Lord reminds these people of his love for them. It's not, it's, it's like this, I have loved you. I do love you. And I will love you. What a blessing it is to know the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can also say, yes, the Lord loved me. Today, the Lord loves me. Next week, the Lord will love me. Next year, if he gives it to me, the Lord will love me. In a hundred years' time, when I'm in glory, 
Lord will love me. And forevermore as well. You see, one thing about love, God's love, it's constant. No up and down, here and there, and every this, that way and the other. It's absolutely constant. I know what a tremendous words they are. You know, I love you. I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it, when some human being says to another, I love you. What a difference it makes to your life to have someone to love and to be loved in return. But what a much more blessing it is when God comes up to you and whispers in your ear, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. We are truly blessed, those of us that are believers this morning. You see, the force of the words here in this verse 2 is, I still love you. You know, God's not up and down. I still love you. And Jesus says to us, doesn't he? You know, once he saved us, he keeps us forever and ever into eternity. And the Lord, of course, is unchangeable in his love. It says in Jeremiah 31, doesn't it? The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therein, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. You see, the Lord freely adopted these people here at Malachi. And doesn't it wonderful here how he begins in such a kindly fashion? I have loved you, saith the Lord. And he had talked to them, in a sense, kindly. But then he goes on through Malachi to remind them of their ingratitude. These people were ignoring past and present mercies. Psalm 106 and verse 13 says this, They soon forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel. And what the Lord is saying to them through Malachi is look to your history. Look to your history. And see examples of God's love to you time and time and time again. And the tragedy is, they're becoming almost insensible to God's love. Losing their reverence for the Lord. So easy to do, isn't it? To just come to church, to sit down, to go through the service and go home. A lot of people have said over the years, a lot of the reverence for the Lord has gone out of the church. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. We must be very careful that we don't lose our reverence for the Lord. You see, here, the Lord is addressing a very self-righteous and indignant people. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? What a question to ask the Lord. Wherein hast thou loved us? 
Of course, they were concerned in the situation in which they found themselves in. And the tragedy is, they took their eyes off the Lord and kept their eyes on the situation. And that can be so easy, can't it? Something comes into our lives, tragedy, grief, illness, pain, suffering. How we need to look to the Lord and not so much to whatever else is causing it. Don't ever, ever take our eyes off the Lord. Where is the blessing, they say? Here we have a bunch of people, disillusioned, discouraged, doubting, cynical. They had lost the wonder of what God had done for them. And that's the danger of formalising your religion. Beware of being disillusioned. Never ever cease to wonder, wonder at what the Lord's done for you in Christ. And the problem of being disillusioned, you can disillusion other people. It tells us there <coughs> that the Lord chose Jacob over Esau. The elder would serve the younger. Now, the Lord said this before they were born. And what did he prefer Jacob out of? It could only be free love. He had no merit, not there in the womb. Nothing there he could earn or dream of. And uh, when it says there that... Um, in verse 3, I, I hated Esau. That word hatred there is not meant in an intense, loathing way. The same word is used in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And what hated there means, and I think in Malachi is lesser loved. The Lord chose the people of Israel from Jacob over the people of Edom. Now, in the history we read of them, both of these nations or both these peoples were punished. But it was the Jewish people that were brought back to their land. And that, of course, is the outworking of God's sovereign choice. The people of Israel enjoyed the blessings of being God's chosen people. Whereas we read that he hated Esau, a relative rather than positive hatred. And, of course, Edom was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar, and later destroyed by other forces. And when we read the history of Esau, 
we read how that man led a profaned life. And God is against sin. I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. The difference between these two peoples ultimately was this. The people of God returned and rebuilt their cities where Edom never did. It talks about there about dragons, a more better word would probably be jackals. And you know what jackals are? They're scavengers. They're dogs and they're scavengers. And they're a sign of utter desolation. And that's what happens when the Lord leaves a people. When they're left to their own resources, the disaster is the result and one only has to look at our country today. Any semblance of any Christian content is gone completely. And look at the mess we're in. In every area of our nation's life absolute mess but but suffering for the righteous will have an end whereas suffering for the wicked will be endless see Edom boasts doesn't it verse 4 we are impoverished but we will return to build the desolate places Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Edom boasts of what it will do. It reminds me a bit of all the promises one gets, especially in an election year. What we will do. Well, we'll sort out the problems in this area and that area. And, you know, we're, we are the ones to do it. You know, the Edenites here are beaten down, but they, we're going to better ourselves. We're going to do it our way. And we're going to make something of ourselves. It's so much, isn't it, the speech of insolence. And it is thought that eventually the Lord brought the Edomites in Dan finally in the time of the Maccabees. But isn't that a thing, isn't it? Eh? We will return and build the desolate places. Oh, what a terrible thing is presumption. Taking the Lord for granted. Self-confidence. Paul could do all things through Christ. And surely that's all should be our testimony. Edom will no longer be known by its name. They will be called the border of wickedness. And everyone will see they've been abandoned. Sadly, people of his curse. The judgment of God on Edom 
will be obvious for all to see. Sin had left its mark on that people. And the curse of God, of course, is stronger than man. It's interesting, in 1856, uh, there was a, I suppose we call them today, we call them travel brochures. You know, if you want to go to some exotic place, you get the brochure and it tells you all the wonderful things you can see and all the wonderful things you can do and all that. And it was there, it was about the land that was once Edom. And it says this comment, it can only be visited with a strong escort. So it wasn't a very good place even in 1856. And I imagine even today it's probably not the safest of places to go to. Looking through the history of these two nations, Edom had looked on Israel's pain with pleasure. A special sin of Edom. And Israel would in turn see Edom's downfall. It tells there, verse 5, And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. The Lord will be magnified. Let the Lord's name be great. They see evidence of and recognize God's love. And they will come to a point where they will have to confess the greatness of the Lord. And it brings it back here, doesn't it? To all of us here gathered here this morning. Do we confess the greatness of the Lord? Do we have that certain and absolutely sure knowledge that we belong to Christ? Not just some attachment, but belong. To be one of his children. To be born again. Converted. Whatever word you choose. And to know that despite what happens. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We are his forever and ever. And one day. He'll take us to a place which is infinitely far, far better than we can ever experience here on earth. But only, of course, for those who love and trust the Saviour for themselves. And I trust that's true for each and every one of us. And just to encourage you, hey, we need to pray for our nation. Pray for those who go out and try and preach the gospel to them. And the Lord in his mercy will yet save others. And that's what we're to do in the words of our last hymn, isn't it? To tell out the greatness of ourself. As, um, hymn number 34. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. Unnumbered blessings give my spirit voice. Tender to me the promise of his word. 
in God my Saviour shall my heart rejoice. Number 34.